You know what time it is, you know what time it is. You know what time it is, you know what time it is. It's time for the Dodcast. Dennis the Menace. This is a story about resilience. This is a story about mental strength. This podcast episode is about never giving up. John Cooney has done his fair share of internships and is now ready to become a major player at the World Rugby football table. After entering the Leinster Academy setup at a young age, he speaks about their continuous, never-ending production line of young talent. He talks about the fractious relationship with previous coach Matt O'Connor and why it's always important to foster a good relationship with your coaches. His conic journey, where he was revitalised as a player and helped him to the promised land. The tackle law and concussions in the game. His return from a long-standing injury and what motivated him to get back up every single time he fell. We also delve into his most recent venture up north with Ulster and filling the lar- very large boots of Ruan Pinar. We talk about the passion of their supporters and how vocal they can be on social media platforms. We talk about his future prospects and the allure of French rugby clubs with their heavy wallets. Mr. Cooney's honesty shines through during this podcast, and you will see why. If you are a young kid listening to this and you also want to become a pro rugby player, listen carefully. There are some very hard but very good life lessons in this. This podcast episode is about never giving up. Let's get this party started. You're very welcome back to the Dodcast. We're very kindly joined by Jonathan Cooney. JC, how are you? How are you Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you very much for, for joining me. Is no it worries. How do you like to be known? Is it J, JC, um, Jay-Z maybe? There's a lot of different nicknames I have. Johnny Eggs, one of them. Jack Hardy <laughs> was uh, the founder of that. Uh, Whatever, anything, Johnny, JC, either or. Let's go for Johnny then. Yeah. Listen, as I said, thank you, thank you very much for joining us on the Dodcast today. It's uh, it's very kind of you. Uh, La Rochelle on the weekend coming up. Yeah, um, I think it's two, basically exactly two days from now. Um, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, emulating the great Owen McKeown and hopefully <laughs> make it a bit more interesting. I was nearly falling asleep listening to him, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Brilliant. So, uh, as I said, you, you kind of have a bit of an idea of uh, what the setup is the show. We're just going to go through John Cooney's uh, live rugby life today, but also kind of the in, ins and outs of John that we don't know about. You know, he's looking me deeply in the eyes. He's got this... Ba- You're a big basketball fan, uh, John. Uh, I'm, more, I'm a bit of a pretender, I think. Uh, <laughs> I like different individuals, so I'm supporting a few different teams. But yeah, I have an Isaiah Thomas jersey I just purchased there, so I'm the type of lad who takes it straight out of the packaging and puts it on, so... Yeah, I'm a big fan of a few individuals. Cool. So for the people who don't know you, John, we do a little game called Association. This is just a name, word, or, or, or a sentence, and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Is that all right? Yes, sir. Okay, let's get straight into it. Christmas. Gone. Gonzaga. Chess. <laughs> eggs. Johnny Eggs. Johnny Eggs. Homework. Free uh, periods. California. J1. Smoothies. Uh, in the mornings. Turn-ons. Um, good positive outlook. Okay, turn offs. A negative outlook. Adidas. Um, zippies. Yeah, the Rock. People's eyebrow. Your childhood hero. Michael Owen. Space Jam. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Usher. Uh, dance moves. You got some dance moves? No. <laughs> Straight up. I wish. Percy Pigs. M and S. Jazz or funk. Funk. 
Girlfriends? Guilty. Boyfriends? Guilty. <laughs> the Lions? Uh, draw. Wooden Spoon? Back of the arse. The mother back of the arse sort of thing, is it? Mm, maybe the older brother he used to get in trouble, not me. <laughs> Injuries? Uh... Yeah, I've had a few and mm. necessary sometimes. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. And your car of choice, John? Uh, Toyota Aris used to be my car for many a year and she never let me down. You said your childhood hero was um, Michael Owen, is that right? Yeah, big, so, big so you're fan. So you're a big soccer fan? Yeah, I, w- I would have grown up playing soccer out in the street from about four years old, I think. And I remember I used to watch Michael Owen soccer school every Saturday morning. Yes. Even had his little book which explained how to play soccer. Uh, I also have a signed jersey from him at home and some of my friends would make fun of me, Angus Cody in particular, that I used to always try and tweet him and sadly never got a response off him. But uh, yeah, he would have been my first uh, massive uh, soccer player that I would have been following. So I, I still try to emulate him with his little flick and stuff like that. So. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, in terms of sport, was that your first love? Definitely, yeah. I, I still have a pretty strong love for it. Uh, I wouldn't be as into watching as I used to be. I'd still support Liverpool, but not as strongly as I used to. But yeah, I'd still back myself to try and play the odd game if I can. I played a game a year or two ago, 11 side, but I'm not meant to be doing that every now and again. But uh, if I can, I, I try and play as much as I can. You sound like you, you've, you've kind of grown up in the streets. Uh, have you, is it a classic D4 uh, um, uh, childhood for yourself? I or? wouldn't say D4. Uh, uh, within Ulster, if I tell them I'm from Terenure, I, I try to say I'm from Crumlin, the tough area, but it's a not budge, at all. A budge, is it? Yeah, a budge. Uh, it seems like if I tell a posh person from Terenure, they think it's a bit of a, a hood. If I tell someone from the hood that it's Terenure, they think I'm a poshy, so I can't really win. I kind of lose both ways. Zag education, Cooney? Yes. Um, my brother went to high school and my sister went to Muckris, so we all could have went to high school. But uh, a lot of people I went to primary school with seemed to be going to Gonzaga. I think it was seven of us. So, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to go there with them and... I got in, luckily, I think my dad had a go with a few people just to get me in. And yeah, it was, it was it's a very good academic school and I hadn't played rugby until I got there in first year, so I took it up when I was around 12. My brother played from a young age, but with soccer, I used to play on a Sunday and maybe I used to play on Saturday when I was younger, I just didn't want to start playing rugby. So yeah, I didn't take up rugby till first year, really. Do you think there was facets in the, the, the game of soccer or, or football that kind of stood to you over time that, in the position that, that you play in at scrum half? Um, definitely. I think well, it's kind of proven now with the goal kicking. It's something yes. I just took up about two years ago. But um, yeah, I think that definitely helped me with the ability to strike the ball. Um, and I used to always back myself to be able to kick. I'd, I'd put the ball down on the corner of the cone and I wouldn't really do it properly, but... I, I, my brother always wanted me to take it up and I always knew I probably could do it it's just as I adapted in the later years with developing my mindset and stuff uh, then it came a bit more plausible that I could start kicking because when I was younger I was the type of player if I missed one I'd be annoyed and then it would affect the rest of my game but I've, I've kind of ironed that out of my game at the moment so yeah I, I think playing football was huge also for stuff like speed, evasion, mm-hmm. that type of stuff I was a right winger, a striker so yeah it definitely helped massively and I mean, within Gonzaga, was it was it just rugby, or did you play any other sports as well? Uh, I would have been into all sports. I play. I was on the cricket team. I was on the tennis team. Uh, did athletics. Um, so a bit of everything then. Right? Yeah, kind of played everything. And and when did it kind of come solely rugby, or when was it sort of a, a, an idea or a decision that you said, okay, rugby is my thing? Um, 
I was yeah when I went in the first year I remember I just threw one good pass I think I, I thought I could pass off my left but I actually passed my right off my left <laughs> so it took me a while to realise that I actually couldn't pass off my left but I remember trying one good pass and they put me on the A team and uh, kind of stayed in the A team for a while but it, it was just going with the tide kind of and uh, fifth year I was sub because Matt Healy who plays for Connacht on the wing oh, yes. he was starting scrum half for Gonzaga so I had to sub in fifth year and I remember just getting called for the Lancer trials but um, I didn't expect that because I was a sub but I got sent to them and I remember my brother just telling me to make sure I try and put myself in a position that I could actually try and make the team because I was going there as a nobody like nobody knew who I was and I said why not why not bother trying to put my hand up so I'd try and get there first if they want to scrum half to play a certain drill I'd try and get in there and end up doing well in the trials and I made the Leinster schools and that was kind of the first step for me going into Gonzaga then the final year of my school so yeah, that kind of gave me a lot more confidence coming there as a Leinster player rather than just a lad who was a sub of the year before. Do you think if you went to a school like Blackrock or even St. Michael's nowadays, do you think you would have you know, made the teams as easy or been playing rugby now? Yeah, I said a few of my friends would have joked because I'd be close with Noah Reed and a few other Michael's lads uh, that I should have went to Michael's, but I, I don't think I would have played rugby because I think I would have been on the C or D team because I didn't have a history of playing. So, yeah, I, I think I would have just given up if I didn't make the A team. So that's why I think going to Gonzaga was probably the perfect fit for me in terms of uh, rugby you broke a few uh, Ross Greyhearts my alma mater uh, that year wasn't it your senior yeah, year yeah I, I think we played you twice I actually probably had the best game of my season away <laughs> to you and Ross Grey because my cousin was playing on the other team Dahi and uh, I was just trying to make him look good because he'd been talking a lot of rubbish all week so I kind of wanted to uh, put sure it to him. him so yeah I remember Liam Highland hitting me late a few times which he should have got a few yellow cards but he didn't and uh, <laughs> Then we played in the league final, I think, or was it the Vinnie Murray final? And we mm. beat as well. Tierno Halloran playing that day, but he's too much of a pretty boy back then. That he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't really care that much. And, uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, do you have fond memories of, of the school? Uh, yeah, I what, do. Are, what are your memories of school days? I would have been, yeah, I, I would have actually been pretty astute with uh, academics and stuff back then. I was a bit of a mummy's boy, so uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to let her down. So I would, I, I never, rarely missed a day of school. I wouldn't be the type to try and miss that. Also because I didn't want to miss rugby training or football training or whatever it was. So yeah. I rarely missed days and I would have put the head down. I wouldn't have been as academic as some of the other people. But when you go to school so highly... Uh, regarded for academics that you kind of feel embarrassed if you're a bit behind everyone so yeah yeah, I kind of had to keep with everyone else so yeah I was pretty good academically and stuff like that not as good as a lot of the other people but yeah no I enjoyed I enjoyed my time I had made a lot of good friends there but but you you didn't just keep up you I mean you you went into a UCD did you say did did BCom come yeah I did a BCom in uh, UCD and got it done within three years which is good I was done by 21 so yeah that that was in again my mum put me under a lot of pressure I was in the sub academy so there were long days you'd be up around six half six every morning before uh, exams you'd be in the library till ten half ten and you'd repeat that for the week or two but um, I don't know how you do it but back then you just seemed to get it done and my mum fair play to her she put me under a lot of pressure to complete that degree because she knew sport can be fickle and this rugby career mightn't be for me or anything could happen and to make sure that I have something behind me when I finish We'll, we'll get on. We'll get into it a little bit later on, but I mean, I mean, your thoughts kind of when you finish the game. I mean, you're, you've got a ten-year kind of window of 10, 15 year window yeah. if, you're, if you're lucky. Um, and as I said, we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But your kind of thoughts, maybe outside rugby, maybe were you thinking of maybe doing something like a business or, stuff, or something like that, or following up with the with the degree that you have? Yeah. Um, Just your very brief thoughts on that. Yeah, I as I said, I did the BCom. I specialize in marketing. 
I, I kind of like the social media. Bit of a spoofer then, huh? Yeah, exactly. A bit like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I like the kind of social media aspect of marketing. I think that would be kind of more fitted to me, but I, I, I'm not really sure. I've, I've dabbled in f- different things like, uh, uh, sorry, nutrition, stuff like that. I kind of got a keen interest for that. I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, but it's just too, too sciencey, I think, for me. So... I don't know. I'm not too sure. I, I would like to start a business, but I'm just not sure. Maybe a cafe, maybe that type of route, but okay. it's more just making a plan and, and trying to well, pursue he, it. He's, he's brought over two fantastic lattes uh, this, mm. this this afternoon for us. Posh boy. Posh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Latte. Very, very nice up in, up in Belfast here, so I can't really complain. Exactly. Um, you played a bit of ball then for UCD, yeah? Yeah, I, I went on scholarship back then. It wasn't the Ad Astro, it was a smaller one back then. I went there for two years. We actually had a very good side. Just... At the time, there was quite a, a larger profile of older players on the team. So that I found they kind of relied on the younger lads, which it shouldn't be the way. It should be the other way around. So there was me, Ian McKinley, uh, Nori, Dave McSherry, uh, Reese, and Kieran Ruddock. So we had a good backbone of the team, but we were actually struggling. We got relegated and then we're playing Division 2. So we, we all ended up leaving after two years. So Just 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 because you mentioned his name, uh, Ian McKinley, am I correct by saying you were actually played in the match that he lost? Yeah, I was. It was UCD versus Lansdown in the bowl in uh, UCD. And I just remember it was our own rook and one of our players, he, he went to stamp their player and um, by accident he ended up getting Ian McKinley but I just remember he was playing 10 and I was playing 9 so we would be pretty close friends but I just remember him going off but I wasn't really aware of what happened I don't think anyone really knew because it's not a common injury at all so uh, just I remember seeing him getting taken off by two people and you just didn't think that much of it at the time but I remember going in after the game and hearing that he had punctured his eye and it's the type of injury you've never heard and no one really knew how to react and we heard that he'd gone in for surgery straight away and stuff like that and fair play to him he was back after that he was back a couple of months later I think he had about 56% of his vision back and then he got a cataract on his eye that summer he was back playing for uh, UCD and stuff and the surgery I don't think went to plan so um, he ended up losing the vision in that eye and it was terribly uh, sad news and it's just unbelievable the story of, of how he's returned from that and I, I, yeah, think. But I just want to get your thoughts on that, Cooney. I mean, obviously the IRFU didn't agree, didn't allow for him to play in Ireland because of the so the mask he was wearing. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of. It was a long process for him. He went to uh, Italy originally just to coach, uh, basically uh, just a, a really low grade team. It? Yeah, and he went there to coach and. Uh, slowly he, he started developing I think someone got onto him by developing these goggles and he tried them and he started playing for that team and it was really low league and this lad's still an unbelievable player so he then got picked up I think by it was a top 10 team no before then it was Viadana I think or some okay. team like that and then he got picked up by Zebra maybe and then went to Treviso I think it's been a, yeah he's had a few moves and uh, yeah it's just unbelievable how he's come back from that but originally the RFU hadn't allowed the goggles and he had to start a campaign and I remember taking a photo with him and stuff when I played him for Connacht as well him and his brother are trying to support the campaign and it's just great to see now that he's a live play everywhere yeah and Conor O'Shea giving him his first cap now I mean obviously this uh, interview isn't about Ian McKinney it's all about you today mm-hmm. my, my good friend number 9 um, you then went to do a Leinster setup, the academy yeah how was that? it was good yeah I, I did two years of sub-academy and that's kind of the the tough work you have to do because you're getting paid zero and you're, you're putting all these hours in and there's no pro- definite prospect of a future and that's I think where you really have to put the, the head down and try and work hard mm-hmm. and you're in every morning at 7am so I did two years of that and then I was into the academy luckily I only did one year in the academy and I moved up to senior squad after that so yeah I think just 
uh, developing through the sub academy kind of helped me within that one year academy and no I really enjoyed those three years I think it developed me massively as a player uh, well I, I was I was just saying to you before we went online I was just googling a few images of John yeah. Cooney back in the day playing little scrawny fella he I was. was yeah with a big mop of hair as well <laughs> yeah. Yeah. unrecognisable I know yeah, now I he's got the what, what, how can I describe it is it a fade or is that, is that a blend of the I side I think it's called a, a limerick haircut I think <laughs> My mum doesn't really like it. I look like a traveller, but... You say your mum, she seems to, seems to kind of feature an awful lot in this story, but just, I know we joke, and, and, and I say the same myself, I'm an absolute self-proclaimed. Yeah. Uh, mommy's boy, the Irish mammy, she cannot be beaten. Tell me a little bit about your mother. She seems to be um, kind of featuring Yeah, she's, she's a great woman. She's done a lot for me, so um, for when times have been tough, I like to just reflect on all the stuff she's done for me. So she, when I was young, she would have always been the one to bring me to all my games, and she's she's a terrible worrier she'd always be worrying when I was injured and stuff but it's like any mum she she cares so much about me that like I, I couldn't possibly give up I don't think because the work she's done for me and um yeah no I'm forever grateful for what she's done you you you, you said again before we went online she was very unfortunate uh, that she actually missed your yeah. your your Heineken Cup medal yeah with a feature that was a weird one though because I was just cover I remember I think it was the Tuesday training of that week uh, I was third choice scrum half or whatever at the time but I turned around and Boss and Redden were both down on the ground I was like oh crap I'm going to have to do all these plays so I'd go in and do all the plays all week thinking that these lads could both be out and I'd be making my debut in the final but it ended up that Boss Isaac Boss said he'd be fine and I remember chilling with Dominic Ryan the night before and we were just watching TV and joking it was half twelve and my mum had booked a flight to go to Spain but I told her not to bother cancel because I wouldn't be playing I didn't want her to ruin her holiday so I end up then in the warm up. Isaac Boss pulled up trying to kick. So I end up getting on the bench and getting to play in that game. But and what happens there? Just Joe Schmidt kind of comes over. Yeah, to he had told me previous that if he pulled up kicking, that I'd be on the bench. But Bossy had told me that he thought he'd be fine. So it kind of relaxed me in that way. But yeah, I remember him sprinting over to me, uh, telling me that I was on the bench. But it worked out well because my best mate and my brother and stuff had gone over for it in in the hope that I was going to be playing. So yeah, they're delighted that I did. And I mean. You, you, how, how many seasons then after that did you stay in, in Leinster because you also picked up a Champions um, Cup then at the same time yeah I won I won a few medals but I didn't play enough that I felt really part of it I it played 28, 27, 28 features 28 then? games I played 6 that season and I played 16 the next season which I, I was happy with I thought I played pretty well won the Amlin and maybe the league that year but uh, it, it came to the second half of that season I played a good bit so I was happy with 16 caps at twenty in that season at 22 and then the next season was just a poor season I only got five games new Where change. was that? Uh, it was just cha- change of coach uh, Matt O'Connor came in uh, I just don't think from the start I, he didn't seem to like me that much and I was third choice at the time and Luke McGrath was coming up or whatever and he was fourth choice at the time and uh, I just found he didn't give me that much time a day and uh I wasn't really allowed to play AL because he didn't want me getting injured because I was a cover. So that kind of disrupted my uh, uh, my process of trying to improve. So I ended up having to do loads of like gym and strongman and stuff. And then I'd be thrown into a Lens game every two months and I'd just feel very off the pace and stuff. So as, as soon as he had an opportunity to take me out, I played uh, Zebra. And I was actually playing, I scored a try, but I hurt my neck and I was off at half time. And I actually ended up getting man the match. I think they just picked someone random. But uh, Lukey came on, he played really well, but that was kind of the end of me, I think. Uh, after Matt, winning man of the match, that was yeah, the end of you. Uh, Matt just after that, he just kept any time I performed well, he'd just go back to that game, be like, oh, well, you didn't play well in this game. 
So then that summer after my first season with him, he rang me because I was going to get surgery on my labrum, my torn labrum. So there was a few games where I'd be getting smacked and I'd be coming off. Like that's every game came about half time because my shoulder and neck were giving me trouble. So he rang me asking, did I want to go on loan to Connacht? And I just remember I was actually in Mayo at the time. We have a house in Balna and Mayo. And uh, I just remember thinking straight away, I was like, this lad just wants to get rid of me because I just had no relationship with him. And uh, I was annoyed originally and then thought about, actually, it's a real good idea. I'm not going to get picked by him. Why not go to Connacht and try and get game time? But I was promised if I do well, this is the process you come back. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to do well and I'm going to come back. So uh, I, it took me till the September I did my rehab with Leinster. And then I went into him thinking that it'll be okay. We're sending you on loan. We want you to come back. Here's the goals and here's what we want you to work on as a player. I remember just going up to him and just asked me when am I off. I was like, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I'm off. Uh, I think next week. I think my show is okay. He's like, okay, yeah. So I was pretty annoyed about that, thinking that that was that. I thought he'd give me things to work on, goals from the loan deal. So that really annoyed me. I was like, okay, well, he's trying to get rid of me. So then I went on the loan. It took me about four months to try and make the Connacht team because I was coming late. Mm. I didn't know the plays. Uh, Ian Porter was playing well at the time. So I really, that shocked me again. I had to put the head down and try and work hard then. And eventually I got into the team and I took my chance. I played Zebra, scored a try. Again. and Yeah, it seems to always be them. And just did well off the bench. And then that kind of got me into the team. So it's been a roundabout way. And uh, I did actually get called back to play for Leinster one time and it was against the Dragons and so you went sorry just just to yeah. clarify you went so from Leinster to Connacht and then yeah. back to Leinster again yeah so the, like loan, a bit of a the loan deal was up to Tuesday of any week they could recall me if they needed me mm-hmm. just to save them say they get an injury and I remember being in Dundrum and getting a text message off Guy Easterby being like uh, we might need you back this week which is quite bizarre seeing as I've been away for like four or five months he was months. the back coach at the time yeah. no he was the manager Okay. so I ended up actually having to go in that week but it was awkward because I was doing gym with them and I was doing their programs but I didn't know whether I was going back to Connacht or not so it was just a bizarre feeling but I actually had the tra- best training week I ever had in Leinster because I didn't care I didn't care if I performed <laughs> badly and I didn't care about anything because I could just play my own game and I felt uh, this ad doesn't rate me anyway so why not to play my own game and perform and I, I actually trained really well I came on set up a try to win the game ended up actually losing it but then he's it was bizarre again after the game he's just like okay well done uh, you're back to Connacht in the team room well, after I mean, the game you, like, what, what's going through your head at this stage I know you said you didn't care but surely yeah. there was a party that oh, did sort of care I cared massively it was like a fire in my, like my stomach just uh, just the way he just didn't believe me and doubted me and I, like I'm grateful for now because I think it just it started this new way for me to think I just had this fire in my belly that I had to prove these people wrong and yeah a lot of times I'd be playing games I, I like these people who doubt you and all this stuff and like I said it, it just drove me to be better and yeah because I mean before we went online you said uh, Michael Jordan was another guy who, who believed an awful lot yeah Kobe Bryant as well I'd, I'd watch a lot of videos on these people but even going back to that, it, the funny thing was a few weeks later, I, I went back and played Dragons again, got man of the match, and I started playing really well for Connacht. Yeah. And who's ringing me? Matt O'Connor asking me, saying that they might be bringing me back oh. and that they want me back and all this stuff. And that just annoyed me. I actually remember getting off the phone and texting them saying, no, I don't want to go back. I, I actually texted really? them being like, I, you, you're not going to play me. I know what you're saying. You're just saying Did this you say stuff. That? Yeah, I just said, I don't want to go back. And you're just saying this stuff. I know you won't play me if I go back. And then, thank God, he, he didn't call me back. And uh, I was also then offered a two-year contract to go back after that. 
and it was not it was mainly he was the person at the time that I was struggling with and I was told he would still be the coach so I didn't see the point of me going back to a coach that I just knew didn't rate me and I was still so annoyed about it at all if he had given me a list of things to work on and and not made me feel like I was just being left out in the cold I definitely would have consider really consider going back but I just couldn't go back after that and I, I made the right decision because the next year we won it with Connacht but you were also yeah exactly you were also with a very strong uh, solid uh, uh, group of players down in Connacht and with mm. Pat Lamb exactly talk a little bit about uh, your Connacht experience yeah the main like there was two reasons for not going back one was Matt O'Connor and the second reason was just I loved the people I loved all the the camaraderie with the lads and stuff like that so these were all my best friends so I remember talking to my agent and he said wherever you're happiest is usually the place you're going to play well so like I just thought Connacht is my home now I really like it I really like the people I'm happy here so this is where I'm going to play my best rugby so I was I was happy to stay on you were you were living with uh, the the infamous uh, Kionzi at the time I there was, right? um, between him Fionn Carr originally and then with Owen McKeown and King Keller and JP Cooney as well so we had a, a funny old household and a lot a lot of slagging but it was enjoyable <laughs> Can you give us a give us a little bit of an insight of what, um, what a day well, we today to, routine used to get used to happen? Just in that a house. few nicknames. We used to call him McKellen Butterbean after the boxer. He didn't really like that one. Um, <laughs> no, I used to always sit in King Kelleher's wardrobe and jump out of him. He's a bit of a woman. He'd always be getting scared about those <laughs> type of things. So no, it used to just be playing tricks. It was, on it, was, it, was it was all good fun. It was good fun. Yeah. And there was a couple. Was there a couple of guys down in Connacht before that you kind of knew from beforehand that you? There was. Um, Dave McSherry would have been. He was sub academy with me in Leinster from a from a young age. So I would have been very close with him. So he made that uh, journey up way easier originally. And uh, I would have known a good few people. There was a lot of people from Dublin and around that area that were, I would have been close to before. Even Conor McKeown was there in the academy and stuff mm. like that. So no, it was effortless. I found it very Great. easy to transition between. The the two uh, Dave McSherry unfortunately had to retire because yeah. of uh, head injuries concussions yeah. let's speak a little bit about that for a second mm-hmm. within the sport I mean you're, you're a fine sized fella but the majority of, of the game is now I mean they're over 100 kg do you think it's all down to tackle technique or how do you feel about the ta- tackle rule at the moment um, oh, it's a very tricky discussion at the moment I, I know in England they're talking about playing this uh, no tackle rule from a young age where it's just tip rugby basically uh, I just think it's going to be pretty difficult because it's, rugby is a game of contact and I think if you have kids learning how to tackle at a later age I just think their technique and stuff is going to be worse so I don't think it's going to make much of a difference I think they're starting something they haven't done before at, at such a late age I think the, they're going to be a lot bigger the collisions are going to be even bigger again so I, I just don't think it's plausible for that to happen and yeah it's just a very difficult one all they can do really at the moment is just making the protocol a lot sharper in the games or if they think someone's has a slight concussion it's taking them off and doing the protocol through that but it, it's just such a high impact sport at the moment that it's it's very hard to manage so just within within the conic setup you said that the 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 time that you spent with pat lamb he was all about kind of the community spirit the the, yeah. the there was much more than actually the the rugby within Connacht. it was a more of a kind of as i said a community spirit can you give us a little bit of an insight into that yeah he was he was brilliant at uh adapting the Connacht spirit and all that to, to other counties because as we know Galway is the main hub for Connacht Ruby at the moment but he was very good developing it in places like Connemara, Mayo, Leitrim we used to go on these day uh, training sessions to all these places mm. and it would be great to get everyone from around the local area out there just to see us and to interact with us and we normally have little training camps at the end of it where we teach them different things oh, yeah, and nice. try and work with them I think he was brilliant for that because especially for me coming from Balna. 
Um, it's nice to see there's bus loads going from there to all the Connacht games every week and I think that's just gotten bigger and bigger because when I was young that, that definitely wasn't happening so I think the way he's developed that game into other communities has been huge when you see Leinster and the juggernaut it's turned into I mean what they've, they've used 37 players in the uh, in the Christmas and uh, New Year season mm-hmm. and have won all their Interpro games um, without using I think Easton Nacio and, and, and a few other players it's turned into as I said the juggernaut again but is it happening that the IRFU is giving all its resources to Leinster with, with, and you kind of have a bit of an insight obviously because you've, you've played and been there mm-hmm. so you have the likes of Connacht who not very long ago had to fight to, to still be Connacht do you know yeah um, what are your thoughts on that uh, I just think at the moment Leinsters have such a backdrop of quality players coming through and I think success breeds more success and I think in recent times they've had such success that they have all these players that are are doing these good habits and doing these things where the young players are coming in and seeing it and then they're being influenced by them I think you can see how well their young players are performing because I think they're learning these good habits and and this way of rugby at at a young age coming through they're blooding their good young players early Uh, it's it's easy to do that when you have a team that are winning every week Mm. because you can afford to play them in these games that aren't as important whereas in Connick in previous times they have to win every game so they can't blood these young players and just at the moment that's where Leinster are just getting such a return at the moment is because they have this unbelievable team that are performing well that they can just keep blooding these young players do you think there's a bias towards Leinster by who by the RFU um, no I just think you have to be smart there's one million of one million plus people living in Dublin they're going to have a larger pool of players and they're probably going to have more money because they're being more successful so I just think I think Leinster just have more money and they have more players and invariably that's probably the reason why you have the likes of say Robbie Henshaw and moving to them because I mean there's a bigger pool of players and it's a bigger opportunity I yeah exactly it's, just, it's massive in Dublin and there's just so many numbers and so much money there let's talk about now um, the, the fantastic win that you had well it was fantastic but at the same time it was a bittersweet really for you because you, you sustained an injury in that, uh, that uh, Pro 12 final yeah um, <laughs> tell us about that yeah, it was, it was my first game back against Leinster because when I went on loan, I, w- I wasn't allowed to play. And I think mm. the next season, I, I think I was out with my other shoulder at the time. So I was itching. I finally got to play Leinster and uh, I came on. Two minutes later, I sh- go into a rook, which is a cardinal rule for a scrum half, don't go into a rook. <laughs> and I, I went to try and jack on, t- get a turnover and got cleaned out of the rook and dislocated my shoulder straight away. And uh, I just remember trying to run in the backfield and it was hanging off it was hanging off me and uh, it was excruciatingly painful but I think it was more the the scenario and where we were that I I just couldn't feel it because I was so numb and stuff to the whole scenario but uh, yeah it was it was a tough day have you been in a rock since? no <laughs> full stop <laughs> full stop so, so, so you look I mean I have the list here you sustained what three shoulder injuries uh, three so- shoulder surgery should I say yeah. and, a, and also a broken jaw yeah I mean extensive to say the least there's a, there's a surely a kind of a mental resilience within you to be able to come back from injuries like that and I briefly spoke about it the likes of uh, the guys that you use uh, for, for motivational support yeah can you tell me a little bit about that uh, yeah it is it, it is tough times but you can use all these cliches or whatever tough times make tough people and I don't think I would really change it at this stage now because I really had to work hard to get back from these injuries and I've learned a lot of good habits through those injuries and just I really worked on my mindset and I worked on say my leg strength would have been one of my strengths back then and all I could do with a broken shoulder is legs or running so that's all I could do and that's all I did do and I massively adapted my mindset on my last 
shoulder surgery, the one after the final, um, because I, I worked a lot with Owen Masterson and me and him are very competitive, the two of us. Uh, he had done serious damage to his knee. I think he tore every single thing in it and I have so much time for the fella. Uh, just to go on what how unbelievable his return was, I think only one professional athlete has ever come back from his injury. He's really? the second. It was a basketballer, I'm pretty sure. So... Um, wow. It was just an honor to to get to return with him, and I remember me and him. We we'd say be in a half seven every morning, and we'd be so competitive. If one of us was in a twenty past twenty five past, we'd be giving out to the other lad, being like, "You're a bit tired, uh, good sleeping, and stuff like that." But it makes it way more manageable, yeah. Because like it's such a small, stupid thing, but I'd be getting up. 10 minutes earlier because I didn't want him to yes, annoy yes, me yes, or, yes, or yes. get one over on me and like I think we were huge for each other on that return and I remember doing fitness with him and I, he might have me in the gym but I'd always have him on the running and uh, we were still blown because we were still doing a pretty hard workout and uh, I remember him turning around to me and it was stick with me for a long time he goes this isn't hard this fitness is not hard looking at yourself six months nine months out with injury that's hard so I remember that hit home massively with me so now if I'm ever tired I, I try to think stuff like that and yeah the two of us we'd bounce off we, we'd be mad into watching these videos and stuff like Inky Johnson he's this uh, oh, he used to play American football in America and he ended up uh, tearing his subclavian artery I think it's called oh yeah 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 and he, he got serious damage down the left side of his shoulder and he had to retire but his mindset and the way he thinks and he talks about the commitment and who he represents and I think it's huge for any of us me, me and I will be the exact same I know I represent my family I represent my girlfriend my my best friends these people who have invested their time and work into me and I just I, I never would have thought of giving up and I just don't think it was like something I ever processed in my mind I was never going to give up but I also worked hard so if you know you've worked hard you, you just can't give up because it's just too hard to give up if you say you give 50% and you've you've half given what you wanted, it's pretty easy to give up. But I just, at that time, I I done too much that I couldn't give up. And we, we watched all these videos and I, I like to listen to them on my way into training at the moment, just to set my mindset now at the moment, going in on Monday or Tuesday morning so that I'm attacking the day rather than going in Get and you. just getting through my Monday. And I, I think there's a lot of information on YouTube and podcasts and stuff. And I think more people need to start training their mindset a lot of people think young rugby players train your 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 body and train all these skills, but it's such a neglected aspect of your game is your mindset. If you were to put it uh, in terms of a ratio, what would you give the the physical aspect to the actual? I would have said uh, four or five years ago, I wouldn't have had a clue. It would have been like ninety ten. Now I'd say it's nearly fifty fifty. I just if I had to put down to why I'm I'm performing better at the moment, I'd say purely down to just developing my mindset. The law of attraction. Yeah, it's something I was talking to you before. Um, the Law of Attraction I, I listen to a few podcasts on it and I've listened to a few audiobooks as well it's just they speak I'm, I'm a firm believer and they speak about the, the energy you emit to the world so whether it's positive or negative you'll incur more of it so say you're a negative thinker or oh, this just happened to me and you're continuously thinking negative thoughts the next thing that happens to you you're going to regard it as negative anyway mm-hmm. whereas if you're positive oh this is a good start to the morning I'm happy 
other positive things happen to you and I've just starting to just notice small and smaller things happening because Can I'm you give us a tangible to, example just that what might have happened even last start of the week I walked into Tesco and I never buy a scratch card but I was just thinking this is a good morning I'm feeling good yeah. I'm feeling lucky why not I'm feeling I, I'm going to win money on this so I was sure I was going to win money I just got a scratch card and I won 100 quid just one scratch card yeah but I, <laughs> I never buy scratch cards no way and first thing that popped into my head was law of attraction I was like geez that's a good day because I, I don't know why I was like I'm sure I'm going to win money on this yeah and now everyone's going to go out and buy them and they're going to lose their money but I just think small I don't know I don't know how to explain yeah. it but I, I find it helped me a lot you, you, you also became a much more valuable player from your time in Connacht because they give you an opportunity to start kicking as well yeah so what you're t- telling me about the, you know, the law of attraction and the kind of working on your mental strength obviously must have helped you with your kicking as well yeah kicking again going back to it's something I only took up what was it two years ago because there's a few injuries in Connacht but yeah it was when I started out kicking, my mentality was completely different as it was now because I had no pressure because I was a social kicker or whatever. I just started. So in my head, I was like, people think I'm going to miss. Like, I've no pressure. I might as well get them because no one thinks I'm going to get them. But now I've gone to the point where I had to adapt my mentality because I've gone now, people think I'm going to get them. So now I'm thinking, screw anyone who thinks I'm going to miss. So I had to change my mindset from... Uh, there's no pressure on me to there's pressure on me I need to get these and I struggled a bit when I first came because I was overthinking I was thinking oh I'm under pressure I need to get these but then I changed I go just relax just think you're going to get them there's no pressure you're a good kicker just relax and going back to that kick we were talking you messaged me after the Munster game the one from the touchline 17-0 yeah um, I messaged you saying I never thought I was going to miss it because I just I had trained to be in those scenarios and it's where I wanted to be. I knew I was good enough kicker that put in that scenario. I wanted to be the person to put us in a winning position. And I was licking my lips at that opportunity. And I've kicked under pressure of in my head, there'll be no one in the stadium, 17 all, you have to get this kick to win it. I've practiced those scenarios in my head, but it was nice to actually be there. And when Craig put the ball down, Gilroy, um, I didn't go to celebrate. I go. I went to get the ball to then set my mindset right that, okay, you're going to kick this ball. And I missed the one just before it from similar position to the left thinking that there was a wind and it didn't move whatsoever so I knew just kick the ball straight down the middle and yeah I just just wanted to kick it and I I I didn't think I was going to miss it you didn't just do that you absolutely bisected the (laughs) posts my friend I think it's one of the nicest ones I've kicked but uh, yeah I was happy to get it so (laughs) I don't know how someone does it I don't know how anyone does it but you were given the the monumentous task to fill the boots of Ruan Piner yeah um I just remember hearing in the radio I was in Galway at the time and that he was leaving and I just saw it as a massive opportunity for myself because I wanted to be number one where I was and at the time I was number two between me and Marmo but he was playing all the big games so when I saw that I straight away text my agent be like here that's an opportunity I, I want to be there and they end up signing me and I moved up and I've been asked that so many times first few interviews I did and I didn't want to go and be like, yeah, I hope I can live up to his name or whatever. I I put it out there. I said, um, yeah, it's massive, but I, I want to fill his boots. Like, I, I want to be the player that's going to step up. And it's put myself under massive pressure, but it also made me work hard in the summer. And I knew I had a goal to attain. To, and I just, 
it just made me have to really come out of my comfort zone and that's exactly what I wanted to do no and I mean you haven't just done that you've, you've really hit the ground running this season I mean it's, it's the most consistent rug- rugby that you've been playing I think ever in your career isn't it yeah I've played 15 games I think pretty sure it's 15 games a season and gone a year without an injury touch wood touch wood um, but yeah exactly it's continuity that you need it's it's hard to perform when you're out for five six months back in for four or five games pick up a niggle you're gone again it's just hard to get that continuity even reps in training so when you're not playing every game you're not getting the reps in training you don't feel as fresh going into games as sharp and stuff like that so it all has a knock-on effect and it's just it's just been amazing just to get this continuity and this extra like game time each week even just running the plays and training you said I mean coming into Connacht the first season that you had you actually missed the, the, the pre-season but you, you talk about the Ulster pre-season at the start running those those northern yeah, hills yeah that was very tricky I it was a hard one because I was coming in to a new environment and then I was also trying at the deep end because I had been on the Japan tour that summer so when I moved up I was expecting oh they'll ease us into our first few days but we are trying straight at the deep end with very hard uh circuits with running and strongman and all this type of stuff but i remember going home and barely being able to walk and then we had to do the sand dunes in port stewart it was just another level how hard it was and at the time i didn't have a house either so i was living with a uh, connor carey a connor's prop his brother fergal mm-hmm. it was just on basically a mattress in a spare room it was amazing that he <laughs> glamorous yeah i was lucky that he took me in because i had nothing else but it, it was just tough because he, he was amazing he gave me the kitchen and everything but when you don't really have your own house and stuff it was just hard i'd be coming home wrecked just passing out in the yeah. bed and stuff like that but uh early on i was trying to find a house and i was just trying to settle in get to know people it's hard to get the right balance between listening to the coaches and make a relationship so remember the fitness coach getting annoyed at me for talking in a yes. session but i was there trying to get to know the lads and i wouldn't be the quietest i'd be a bit of a messer sometimes but I wasn't able to do both. I was trying to do one or the other and it would backfire on me. So it took a few weeks for them to get to know me as a person and to kind of accept me. And I've really settled in there. How's, how's Belfast been for you? I mean, it has a kind of a, uh, an infamous name. How's it been for you? I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, my mum used to work here a few years ago. Okay. She used to work kind of week on, week off back home when I was in school. So she really liked it. So she, she told me all the stuff to do and all that type of stuff. And I really settled in. I have a nice house now here and it's handy I've got Pizza Express and all these lovely restaurants around so I think I've put on a few kilos away <laughs> but no my girlfriend's moved up from Galway or across whatever it is and she's really liking it she's settled in she's got a job so so that's really helped me uh, so yeah we're all settled you, in you, you picked up uh, a hashtag Galway girl on your travels did I you? I did yeah um, met her about a year ago when I was in Galway maybe even a bit longer I don't want to get the timeline wrong or I'll be in trouble <laughs> um, but yeah no she, she was very keen to move up because she wanted to see a different part of Ireland and she wanted a new challenge and she, she's really enjoyed it. Going strong? Going very strong, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Do you find that uh, having a girlfriend is a sort of like a, a, a stabling or a, a kind of a, a grounding yeah, with I, you for playing rugby and I just think in, in terms of lifestyle? Yeah, I think it, exactly for lifestyle and stuff it, it helps because you wouldn't be going out as much and you've, you've someone to keep you company and uh, it's just, it's nice to have someone else to represent and someone there for you in the low times someone there for you in the high times that you can share it with so it's it's nice to have so you've you've um, set up a nice little uh, kind of 9-10 partnership with your friend Christian yeah um, I remember when he first came someone tweeting I was 
bursting out laughing we, we played our first game together against Cheetahs and we basically met each other on the Tuesday Wednesday at about two sessions together someone saying that I, he had milk in the fridge that lasted longer than me how long me and Christian knew each other and thought that was pretty funny early on but uh, we've from day one we've really clicked and we get on really well he'd actually be a really close friend of mine now and I think he's just such an inspiration to people to think that he had a bone marrow transplant only about a year ago. Leukemia he had. Yeah, it? yeah, leukemia. And to, to see where he is now, he might still be a bit unfit walking around the field a few times. <laughs> we have this kind of... I, I, he's a very mellow type of person that you can always have a little song and a joke with. And he was handy for me that he, he he's very chilled and in terms of goal kicking. Each week he'd be like, you want to kick, bro? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll kick. So <laughs> I was lucky that he, he he's real mellow in that regard and it's just inspirational to see him even before games. I'd be looking at him and just be honoured that I'm in the change room with him. And it's hard to come in on a Monday or Tuesday and, and feel bad or complain about anything when you know the sad's been through all this. So I, I tried to complain as minimal as I can around him. And it, it just really resets your, your mind sometimes when you see him. And I'd, I'd just always be grounded when I'm around him. Do, do you think him. you've learned from him? Oh, massively. Just he's very, like I said, he's a very mellow lad. And one thing he, he found hard is like, why is everyone so uptight all the time? So I'd be like, just relax. And before games and people are getting uptight and worrying about stuff, he'd always get us in and be like, lads, just relax. It's just a game. And he knows that his family and his, his kid and stuff are more important than the game of rugby. And yeah. I think that's an idea a lot of us need more because we think it's life or death. And at the end of the day, it's not because that lad has been close to that. So it, he's just really real mellow and just a really nice ad um, there's a couple of names been thrown around we've, we've got Matt Giddo but most recently Stephen Donald as well what are your thoughts about these, these type no of partnerships comments, no comment no comment whatsoever <laughs> uh, until it's released I don't until, think until it's released but what, 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 what would you like uh, maybe a, another Australian um, or another New Zealander I don't mind passes? either, or, either as long, or as long as they can't kick much I'd like to get <laughs> I hope they're not much better than me at goal kicking the, the Ulster fans and you spoke about it briefly are uh, they're they're passionate about about the rugby up here. Yeah, they're hugely passionate. Um, I think Friday nights in Ravenhill or Kingspan, whatever you want to call it, is is just something they all grow up with. Yes. I was just talking to any of the players or even the fans. They've grown up going with their dads or their granddads or their their wives, mothers, all the same, all these family things, and it's huge because it's such a family event. And up here, it's it's probably the biggest sport, and mm-hmm. it, it just means more to them than just a game and we want to perform well and it's it's disappointing sometimes when we we have back-to-back we might perform unbelievable like the harlequins back-to-back and then perform badly against connacht and it's frustrating i know it's frustrating for them but it's just it's just amazing when you see how much it means to them and we just need them to keep backing us i mean people people now have have kind of a direct association or relationship now with players through twitter or instagram Mm. i mean and people they say good things and bad things, but in particular, you, you take it to heart when people say bad things. I mean, how do you react when someone kind of says, oh, Cooney, he's not filling the boots of Peener? Yeah, uh, ah, it doesn't bother me too much. It actually kind of uh, like gets me a bit more encouraged. And if someone's saying what it's at the end of the day, their opinion, it, it, it still lights that fire up in my stomach where if someone's doubting me, it, I don't know, I always take it the screw them. I'm going to show them otherwise. So it wouldn't affect me. It would actually just make me want to play better. So I've I've had people tweet me. I, I've replied to a couple. <laughs> and one was saying that my goal kicking wasn't good enough. And that kind of annoyed me. And all I want to do is just to show how good a goal kicker I can be. And I think I've done that recently. So it doesn't affect me, to be honest. And, and you have been showing that, my friend. Um, 
I do want to briefly just talk about obviously the November series. You were a little bit unfortunate not to be called into the team. Obviously, there was a little bit of you know mixing and moving with yourself just coming from Connacht. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure Joe Schmidt was was in contact with you. Where do you stand with that? Um, yeah, he, he told me I was very close. He just said between me, Lukey McGrath, and Marmo we're all playing well, and all I could do was just keep playing well. He didn't have anything bad to say or anything. So I think we find out next week about the Six Nations. So. And all I can do is play well for Ulster and that's all I have been doing and I, I really want to make it obviously but if I don't I don't and I'll just keep playing for Ulster but yeah I, I can't really do that much else at the moment and if he doesn't see me in his plan he doesn't see me in the plan but I, all I can do is play well we, we kind of glossed well you glossed over it more so it was the 2017 summer you, you got your first cap yeah I did over uh, in Tokyo yeah it worked out well uh, going back to the injury with me and Masterson, I remember uh, my main goal from that preseason was to make the end of season Ireland tour, and it didn't seem like a realistic goal at all at the time. But I just knew Conor Murray should make the Lions, and I thought I should be the other lad to go on that. And I remember just in the depths of that fitness, remembering that goal, and it drove me on massively, and it meant a lot to me to make that tour. I remember getting the email from my room, and I had a little moment to myself. I was pretty upset because. It's, it's there's no better feeling than setting this big goal and achieving it and I know people didn't think I was going to get it and it just meant the world to me it meant the world to my family and I, I don't think it could have actually meant much more to me I mean tears of joy you mean yeah. more than being actually upset just tears of just knowing that you put your everything into yes. something and you achieve what you wanted to and I only played six minutes and I think it goes back again I was the last person to be capped on the tour and I again I had to struggle and I had to keep working because first week I was running on the wing second week I was running a 10 in training so I'm not getting these reps at 9 and I was the last person to get a cap everyone had gotten a cap after 2 games and Joe came to me and thank god he put me on the bench for the last game he goes you deserve it because I didn't put my head down after the second one being the only player not getting picked I, I knew if I put my head down that that's what they'd expect so I went down and all I could do was train well at 10 and I did train well and then that got me on the team for the last game and yeah I just I was delighted and you set these goals you set these micro goals I mean like anyone does in life what is the ultimate goal in rugby for yourself uh, John if you want me asking um, well initially first things first I want to make the Six Nations mm-hmm. um, I'd love to play in all those games or play as much as possible I would love to get some silverware with Ulster this season because I've experienced it before and I honestly couldn't think of anything better than celebrating a pro 14 final or something in Europe and it's it's just the best moments with the best people and the fans and stuff so I'd love that and then yeah I just want to keep doing well make this Ireland summer tour that would be my next goal it's it's all written down in my book somewhere so that's the main things I'm, I'm going to call you the, the Irish rugby club slut are you going to are you going to finish the, the foursome and, and head down south at some stage too not a hope <laughs> Not the Munster, I don't like them. And what about maybe to uh, to distant uh, pastures, potentially over to France? Maybe I now look. You've seen it. I mean, Simon Zebo uh, as of late. Uh, I mean, Johnny Sexton had done it. Um, there's a few guys there. If if I was to you in the morning in a nice the French accent, um, we would like to offer you X amount of money. And I mean, X amount of money is 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 a, would it be a big envelope. Uh, it's a big envelope. Mm. You know, like, like I mean, you're, obviously things are going well in Ulster at the moment. Yeah. What happens? Do you, do you jump ship straight away? or how, uh, you, the, It's I, a short career. How, yeah, it is short, but I, I couldn't see myself leaving in the near future. I, I could see myself playing in France, but it, it would be a good few years down the line, past 30s. Because um, <laughs> with the whole goal-kicking nine type thing, they really like that, and I actually really like the French culture. I like the language. So 
I think in a later life it would be something good to have fluency in French and stuff like that. Petit français? Um, petit peu. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is something I like to do, but further down the line. So at this, at this part of the show, um, John, we do a little thing called, well, it's, it's actually a new thing that we do, it's called, it's called moments. So we're going to go through like just various moments and it's the first thing again that comes to your head when I say a certain, certain, certain word. So the first thing I have is, a, what, what was your scariest moment? Um, scariest moment was moving from Galway to Belfast. Really? Okay. Just, yeah, just n- not having a house, coming to these new, this new area, not knowing as many people, whereas... Dublin to go away and you way more players that was probably the scariest okay well I'll say to you at this point it doesn't have to be rugby orientated just okay. for, for the people who are listening at home who maybe aren't into their rugby yeah. or the oval okay. ball um, your happiest moment happiest moment was but it can be rugby as well of course I mean I'm just thinking rugby at the moment that's fine <laughs> happiest, first thing that comes to your head I don't have fine. any children or anything so it couldn't be that um, happiest moment was getting that first Ireland cap oh, brilliant uh, saddest moment Saddest moment, the most bittersweet moment I had was just getting my shoulder in the final because it was the happiest sad moment. Pro 12. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the strangest moment? Strangest moment. That's a good one. Um, first, thing, first thing comes to your head. Anything? Uh, well, it's moving in with Owen McKeown. <laughs> <laughs> and the most amazing moment of your um, life today? Most amazing. I mean, apart from your girlfriend, of course. Me. Um, what would I say is the most amazing moment? I don't know. I'm quite happy at the moment. Just everything's going well, like I planned. So I'm just happy at the moment. That's probably the most amazing. That's that's uh, that's a very good happy answer. Out. Yeah, yeah. Happy, happy you. Yeah. Um, you. Uh, I mean, like, where's the future for you, John? Future, future. In terms of like, I mean, obviously you have your short term goals, short term yeah. goals made for this season. Uh, going forward, as not just a rugby player, going forward within your life, um, rugby, as I said, is only, you know, we we kind of we as I said, we create these goals, but they really are very micro goals because you have only have ten or fifteen years to to play rugby outside rugby. What are we looking at? Um, I think I like to work with people. Um, I just couldn't see myself working in an office I just don't think it kind of suits my personality or the type of lifestyle I live I think maybe working with coaching or with other children or whatever it could be I like volunteering I just signed up for working with old people elderly up here oh, very nice. so stuff like that I, can't, I enjoy that I used to work with the homeless people in Galway so I just I like to do something with my evenings I, I hate wasting them all the time and not to say I don't I do waste them I play video games like everyone but I just get sick of it after a while so I think working with people what maybe it's coaching maybe it's working on the mental aspect of stuff I think there's a huge gap in Irish lifestyle and everything where people don't put enough emphasis on the mental health the people talk about depression all that type of stuff but I just don't think people set their mindset enough to just be positive and stuff like that it's such a small thing but I think it just matters hugely on your day to day life and stuff like that so. it's it, it's something that I used to bring into an awful lot of interviews was I used to compare this is a silly thing I used to do but it was compare uh, life to a rugby game which it kind of is mm. I mean if you, you're working within a team and there's no no better team uh, sport that you'll find than rugby coming up in a line in defence yeah. and if anyone breaks that chain you rely on person yeah. left and right of you and it's the same within any organisation any, any, any community and I think it's very very uh, transferable to life um, 
Would you would you agree with that, or, or what would you say to a say a young kid who's unsecure, un, unsure, yeah. insecure about kind just, of his, his future? I, like you have to feel some sort of way. So I just like everyone could listen to this and be like, "Geez, it's easy for him to feel real positive and stuff at the moment when everything's going well for him." But I've had times where I know it's not been going well, but you have to think it's going to get better, and you have to have mm. this idea that things are going to get good and. There's no point in thinking negative thoughts because it's just going to make everything worse and everything spiral. And I just think too many people concentrating what they don't have and the bad things going on in their life. I just think you need to take the positives and just be grateful for what you do have because when you get put in someone else's eyes or take Christian, for example, when, when I know what he's gone through, you have to take this and you have to look at other people and just be appreciative for what you do have. And too many people don't know what they represent and when something bad happens to them that affects them oh geez this affected me but it doesn't just affect you it affects the people who've sacrificed everything for you like your family and your friends and too many people give up when things get hard because they don't know what they represent they don't know who they represent or what they represent i think it's massive for people to know that and just be positive with their life and i'm telling you now it's going to change everything John, I don't think there's anything else we can say after that. I think you've really nicely summarised this interview and and it's been an absolute honour and privilege to, to, to speak to you today. Thank you very much for taking oh, the time to talk, to talk to the Dodcast. <laughs> the Dodcast. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, this was, as I said, the, what was it, the 14th episode now, so we're, we're racking them up at this stage. But uh, listen, thanks very much for, for tuning in. Please subscribe and, and like the page. And uh, other than that, get in touch. Let me know how you get on. Folks, this was the Dodcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.